All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard Issue for all women. Hey there, you bunch of smashers. Welcome to episode 24 of the Standard Issue podzine. And well done for making it through 2017. I'm Mickey Noonan and I took a hip floss to Midnight Mass and had a lovely time. Hashtag a lovely time. I'm joined by... I'm Hannah Dunleavy and I spent most of Christmas trying to get the cat who needs the medicine to eat the medicine and stop the cat who doesn't need the medicine from eating the medicine. And I'm Jen Offord, and the cat horses in the new Star Wars film made me cry. Cry in a happy way. Yeah, they were lovely. Later on, Karen Campbell tells us how to get our shit together so the stuff we want to actually do gets done. January is a bit shit, isn't it? So if finances or the weather will be keeping you inside, I have some suggestions for what you can watch on the telly box. And talking of finances, our Dottie Winters talks you through the highs and lows of self-employment. I talked to Kate Dale from Sport England about This Girl Can. And just a little heads up, because it's January the 10th and the Resolvus, is that a word? It is now. Yeah. Uh, among us think we've already failed at the first hurdle. Well, think again. We've got a special Fitness for the Uninitiated Sunday Chops this week, where you can hear more from Kate and various others in a bid to inspire you to get sweaty. I'm one of those various others. Yeah, she is. Sarah's back answering live questions in SMQT, and you have been sending in some doozies, so please keep that up. And I do Disney's The Princess and the Frog. But first, Bannon, The Beeb, and Ballbags Everywhere. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Q Sting. (laughs) 
Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we attempt to compress the last two weeks into only slightly more time than it takes Toby Young to delete thousands of tweets about tits. More on that in this week's Saturday Bitchin'. If there was any doubt that for the criminal justice system, the plight of vulnerable women is as far from being a priority as DJ Trump is from being of sound mind, the release of serial sex attacker John Warboys after less than nine years of what could have been an indefinite sentence is testament to the zero fucks given. Warboys was convicted and sentenced for 19 offences relating to 12 women, but a further 75 women came forward after the former black cab driver's conviction and police reckon he may have committed around 200 offences in total. Maths isn't my strong point, but that works out at about one month served per attack. That seems just, right? Mm. Oh, and having recently converted to Christianity, Warboys believes that God has forgiven him. Well, that's okay then, mate. The news of Warboys' parole came in the same week that Theodore Johnson pleaded guilty to the murder of his former partner, Angela Best, the third woman he's killed, and been convicted of killing. Johnson received a three-year sentence for the killing of his wife, Yvonne Johnson, in 1981 and spent two years in a psychiatric unit for the manslaughter of his partner, Yvonne Bennett, in 1993. Johnson's now been jailed for 26 years. Third time's a charm. Human rights activists are calling for a domestic violence offenders register, which seems the very least that should happen. Very much feels like the UK is a great place for a man to hate women. Yeah. Right. And there I was thinking the closest we'd come to Donald Trump talking about his dick size was that squirm-inducing spat with Marco Rubio about his tiny hands and his allegedly not-so-tiny manhood during the Republican primary. But no, like a spoiled brat who can't bear to see another child do a clever boy plop-plop in his potty, the perma-tanned man-child pulled down his training pants and produced a steaming turd for social media. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times, he tweeted, while presumably slapping Mike Pence around the face with his theoretically massive cock. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I too have a nuclear button, but it is a much bigger and more powerful one than his, and my button works? Of course it does, Donald. Of course it does. Meanwhile, Trump also leapt to the defence of his son Uday, sorry, <laughs> Donald Trump Jr., after slowly decomposing kingmaker Steve Bannon, called the idiot's elder idiot son treasonous in a new book, Trying to Suck My Own Cock. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House by Michael Wolff. When he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind, Trump said. And talking of losing minds... Talk of the 25th Amendment has been rife again as the man laughably referred to as the president defended his stability and intelligence in both a series of bonkers tweets and a press conference. Because that's like totes what a stable person does. He didn't actually attend the press conference, did he? Didn't he video from down the corridor? That was a different press conference. Oh, okay. But yeah, that one was also mad. <laughs> The BBC had egg on its face and potentially shit on its shoes this week as Carrie Gracie stood down from her role as China editor in protest against the gender pay gap. Just a day after the BBC News website broke a story that a number of household names, including Virgin Money and EasyJet, had revealed gender pay gaps above the national average, Gracie announced her departure in an open letter on her website. Gracie, a journalist with 30 years' experience, explained that she discovered that she and another female international editor at the Beeb earned at least 50% less than their two male counterparts. 
Gracie was offered a substantial pay rise, though still not in line with her male counterparts, but said she could not do her job justice while battling her bosses and that licensed fee payers have the right to know that the corporation is breaking equality law. It will come as no surprise that we stand with Carrie, but as the Women's Equality Party rightly acknowledged, we must also remember that for most women who experience pay discrimination, walking away from their jobs is not an option. Let's hope that sentiment extends beyond a social media hashtag and into solidarity with all women being valued at less than their male peers. Meanwhile, Home Secretary Amber Rudd, or she's currently Home Secretary, I don't know um, what's happening um, as we record this. She may be changed, but current Home Secretary Amber Rudd has been urged by the Independent Custody Visiting Association and right-thinking people everywhere to ensure new guidelines for police detention of women on their period after news revealed that many were left without sanitary protection when they needed it. Dame Vera Baird, Police and Crime Commissioner for Northumbria, said this must immediately stop and police must revise their process. Women must not be required to ask male custody officers for sanitary protection but must be given it automatically and at repeat intervals throughout detention. There should be automatic access to a female officer too. Dame Vera, we couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Mm. Simon Dudley, Conservative Council Leader for Windsor and Maidenhead and Staggering Bellend, is demanding the area be cleared of homeless people ahead of the Royal Wedding in May. Does he mean by using his position of authority to find a suitable long-term solution that includes safe and secure accommodation, health advice and support? No, no he does not. Rather, Dudley is asking the police use legal powers to remedy a, quote, situation that presents a beautiful town in a sadly unfavourable light. Rumours that this absolute coin has never even seen the Muppet Christmas Carol are as yet unconfirmed. U2 frontman and sanctimonious tax avoider Bono received the rough end of a lot of tongues when, in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, he bemoaned an upswing in what he described as girly music, by which he means shit music. Which is offensive, not just because it suggests girls, and indeed women can't do music, but also because it ignores the fact that there is already a perfectly adequate word for a person who makes shit music. Bono. Indeed. Right then, there has been a lot of news. Can we agree on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been uh, newsy. It's been newsy. Yeah. It's been newsy. So we're going to do a little bit of a quick roundup. I'm going to kick off. Friends is now available on Netflix, everyone. I know for a fact that Hannah is very, very excited about this. Oh, who gives a Apparently a lot of people, it's it's been all over the news that people are losing their shit, that despite it being on telly constantly since it ended, unavailable on DVD. Yeah. Wowzers. Mike Tyson is opening a marijuana ranch in California because California has just legalised weed. Well, it does actually come contrary to what Jeff Sessions has said about trying to change the laws. Um, So, yeah, it's a double win there. Finger in the eye for Jeff Sessions. And also, you know, weed. (laughs) (laughs) Nick Holland, a middle-aged man, doesn't think that Lily Cole, a young woman, is serious-minded enough to look after Emily Bronte's legacy. Cole has been made the Bronte Society's patron for 2018. Um, And Holland has resigned from the board because he is not happy about this. She's got a degree from Cambridge, Lily Cole. Yeah. I'm sure Bronte wouldn't want a supermodel. How does he know? Which Bronte is he talking about? Emily. Emily, you know, the young... (laughs) Like Prodigy, who wrote an amazing book at 17 when she wrote Wuthering Heights. Oh, she, I think she was 19. 19. Or maybe that was when Kate Bush wrote Wuthering Heights. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe we've got those two confused. She's quite young. Would and you have let Kate Bush do it? Possibly not. Yeah. I, I think we can all agree that Nick Hollander is a mither in shite. Yeah, sure, why not? 
Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She said that she won't be stepping down from a position as Supreme Court judge. She's 84 and she's going to carry on doing it specifically in the hope that if she lasts till 2020, a Democrat will replace her as opposed to just some guy that Donald Trump knows. She's a legend. Scots are stockpiling iron brew thanks to an imminent recipe change containing less sugar. Makers of the fizzy favourite have assured fans that there will still be four teaspoons of the white stuff in there because there's been panic in the streets of Scotland. Do you know what? Lemon Fanta or Fanta Limon tastes a lot better on the continent because there's more sugar in it. I don't like it in this country, but on the continent, Fanta Limon top notch sugar's delicious it's not yeah. good for you but it's don't lovely care stuff. it only happens like you know a couple of times a year i get to crack one of those bad boys open have you tried one of those in a beer to make a sort of lemony shandy pretty good no do it jen when Blown you're next on the continent <laughs> blown my mind you win an award uh <laughs> <laughs> oprah winfrey steals a show at golden globes with a rousing speech on gender and racial equality Yeah, Natalie Portman made a a factually correct comment about the Best Director nominations and the fact that they were all men. They usually are. Yeah. To be fair. Greta Gerwig, her film Lady Bird, won Best Film, and yet Uh, she wasn't on the Best Director's list. Did it? Best Film... Oh, they have two categories for Best Film and Golden Globes, don't they? Mm. Okay. They have a funny one and a not funny one. Yeah. Yeah. Funny one on musicals, because they're the same. Yeah. Yeah. Funny one and... Whatever Gary Oldman's in. Yeah. <laughs> At the cinema the other day, we saw a trailer for, I don't know, Darkest Hour. That's the one he's wanting to, winning everything for, isn't it? And we were like, he's going to win an Oscar, isn't he? Because he looks different. <laughs> oh, he looks totally different. It's almost like he's an actor or something and he's playing a different person. If we're talking about films, I saw three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri yesterday and it was amazing. Genuinely amazing. Was it as good as Star Wars? I don't like Star Wars, so there you have it. But Hannah and I are both big fans of In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths, so I'm very excited to see Three Billboards. Good. I'm excited too, but I haven't seen either of those films because I'm a philistine, apparently. The kids aren't all right. What? Yeah, it's true. Uh, And also bears shit in woods and stuff. Uh, A report has found that children are over-dependent on likes for social validation. Not just children, I would say. No, I would agree. People. That tiny green light. Just want to see it flashing on your phone, didn't you? Well, moving swiftly onwards, because this is quick fire, uh, <laughs> Theresa May hopes to distract voters from pretty much everything with cabinet reshuffle. I mean, she'd have been better placed just to put those leather trousers back on, I reckon. That would have had more impact on the UK. Yeah, I mean, actually, teabag. What are you thinking? That is a good shout. What, the leather trousers? Yeah, just do it. Every time something goes wrong, <laughs> just put those bad boys on. See what happens. The defence trousers. I reckon she should make those th- those trousers um, Home Secretary. <laughs> <laughs> home Secretary, a pair of leather pants. Oh, what was she thinking? And finally, in this quick fire round that's been anything but quick. <laughs> we um, are challenging the, the phrase quick fire. Yeah. A two-time world chess champion, Anna Muzichuk, chose not to defend her title in Saudi Arabia because of the way the kingdom treats its women as, and I quote, secondary creatures. She's a bit awesome. Yeah, I think so. Brap, 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 Anna Muzichuk. You made Muzichuk sound like a Jewish word of endearment there. (laughs) Why not? Um, Or or some sort of dumpling. Yeah. I I like dumplings. 
Anyone in the market for some good news? Hashtag yes, please. Let's give a tip of the proverbial hat to Iceland, the country, as opposed to the retailer of Kerry Katona's prawn ring, uh, for becoming the first country in the world to make it illegal to pay men more than women. Hey, BBC, are you listening? Yeah, have, have a word. The Nordic country is pledged to eradicate the gender pay gap by 2022, which is, in fairness... A staggeringly brief time frame for a government target. Oh, yeah. It's not, things like this are normally within a generation. It's usually like they? 20 years yeah. or something like that. Uh, and then by the time it gets anywhere close to go, well, we'll just not do that anymore. We've, we've asked the leather trousers and they are not in agreement. <laughs> they don't like it. Let's get rid of it. Under that legislation, companies with more than 25 employees will have to obtain government certification for policies aimed at securing equal pay. And they'll be fined if they fail to do so. So... That, my friends, is why mum's gone to Iceland. They have quite a long record of active women, Iceland. They have a a, a national strike in which women um, have come out on strike. Not every year, but I think they started 40 years ago and they did one on the anniversary recently where the entire country just comes, all women just go and stand in the street and refuse to. And that's all work. That's childcare, everything. They just down all tools and leave. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we hop aboard the first Virgin train to Sexismville, standing room only. (laughs) Virgin Trains found itself in hot water this week after its social media twerp got a bit bants-happy with a customer. After a 27-year-old woman, Emily Lucinda Cole, complained on Twitter that she'd been dismissed by a train manager as honey after an error on their part, the company's account replied... Sorry for the mess up, Emily. Would you prefer pet or love next time? Perhaps understandably, Ms Cole was a bit miffed with the patronising and belittling response, causing the company to delete the tweet and apologise unreservedly for the offence caused. So, in answer to your question, Virgin Trains, actually, we'd like you to fuck off and get back to publishing completely impartial videos of politicians on your social media accounts, please. Is Bantz ever an acceptable form of a company chatting to a customer? No. Yeah, it depends what the situation is. I would say that sometimes I could accept it if it was... If, if they called you sugar tits? No. <laughs> Sweet cheeks. No, but if there was, um, if there was a, a thing that you had complained about and it was a relatively light-hearted thing that you had complained about and they responded in a relatively light-hearted... We don't always respond exactly uh, seriously to to people's tweets. We don't ever respond in a patronising fashion. No, I think we're a slightly different company. Are we providing a service? We, I guess we are, yeah. Yeah, but, well, it's not a paid-for service, is it? No, that is true. Yeah, there no. is a difference. I mean, to be honest, it wasn't the worst thing I saw Virgin Trains do over, over the oh, Christmas shit, period. Yeah. T- when, they, uh, when they refused to honour tickets that people um, who were involved in the fire, there was a massive fire mm. in Most people got um, evacuated um, from their hotels and, got, and yeah, left mm. tickets And in their there. tickets were still in there. And they uh, they said, people said on Twitter, we're not being allowed on the train. And they went, yeah, sorry, you just can't, you've got to buy new ones. They, were like, they had proof of purchase as well. They just yeah. didn't have the actual tickets. That is not very festive. It's not, no. No. There was another Twitter account at Femfresh UK mm. that turned out to be a parody account, but they took a little while putting the word parody on there. That was basically just um, accusing women of having fishy fannies and mackerel chuffs and all sorts of oh. inventive and in inverted commas ways of describing vaginas. And people were not happy about it. I always think 
it's very interesting to me that there is that kind of you know all of the like horrible ways of describing lady bits when it's like basically we're told that a man's life's pursuit is to is to get in them but they're quite happy to bandy around horrible horrible expressions about them not all of them obviously hashtag not all men hashtag not all men i thought you meant hashtag not all caves of wonders <laughs> hashtag not all wizard sleeves Sorry. Oh, you're as bad as them yeah, yeah money's no, next well, week yeah. <laughs> Hello, Hannah and I are joined by Karen Campbell, who Hello. runs. <laughs> Luther's in. Ellis. We're joined by Karen Campbell, who runs her own marketing and branding company. Hello. I didn't know if I was on. This is exciting. Hi. You're on. You're on. <laughs> and Karen has come in to talk to us about something that I really, really need help with, and that is getting your shit together and being more organised. Yes. We all could help that. I am an expert, but I uh, always uh, mess up as well, so don't worry. But I have got some great tips to help us all be organised and get our stuff together and stop fanning about in general. Karen's one of my best mates, and so when I stay <laughs> at her house, there's always like lists and calendars and, and like things on walls and charts and stuff, and I'm a little bit in awe. I do love a list. I'm a bit of a... But I end up writing lists about lists and then forget which list I'm on. But lists are the key to everything, in my opinion. So every night when I go to bed, I write a list for what I need to do the next day, which even can mean washing stuff or, you know, putting a picture up or something really trivial because I need to have everything written down. I end up sleeping better because if I don't, I end up waking up in the middle of the night and doing that whole... (gasps) I've got to do that tomorrow. Do you do that thing where you write something on the list that you've already done so you can cross it off? Yes, absolutely, at the top. And we do a thing as well, if you have the really horrible thing that you have to do, you know the stuff that you keep putting off that's on the list every day. We call it like swallowing your frog. So if you swallow your frog in the first thing in the morning, the rest of the day is quite nice because you've got the really horrible thing that you don't really want to do out the way. Swallowing your frog? Yeah. Wow. It does work, do you honestly. Think, do you think French people enjoy it more than we do? <laughs> South of France. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so it's the new year. It seems like a good time to sort of look at stuff and get more organised. So can you give us some key tips on how to get work stuff, life stuff, love stuff, Mm -hmm. just all the stuff sorted? Can you Basically, can you (laughs) you sort sort me out? (laughs) Great. Quick five minutes. No, joking. No, basically, it's a really good time of year because I think people over the Christmas and New Year period do have a bit of time for reflection they're looking back at what they achieved they're maybe thinking oh gosh I didn't do as much as I should have done they're looking forward to what they want to do for the next year Um, and I think it's a really good time to sort of get your house in order now I don't know about you but I spent a lot of time wasting time and energy on things I didn't really need to be doing so what I do to do things I set myself some goals so I will decide on five key goals I want to do in a year and that can be meet a nice boy for example that can be she's looking at me when she said that I looked at the I looked up that can be <laughs> um, writing a, a book you know it can be getting published it can be doing a talk so at somewhere stuff. Else. it can be big or it can be small you know but it's something you think you really want to achieve and I write them down and put them everywhere I put them on my fridge I put them above my desk I put them everywhere so when I'm doing something whatever that may be if that's in work in life in general if it's not really going towards any one of those five goals I question why I'm doing it if that makes sense. Does it not feel like your life is nagging you? Like no, you no, I think I feel very directional and I think I'm in charge and I'm making things happen. And it's really lovely. So when you get those big goals, you can then break them down as in, in steps. 
about how you're going to get there. So say, for example, your big horrible goal is to write a book, which seems terrifying and makes you feel sick. There are small steps to be able to get there, you know, writing that first sentence, writing that first chapter, etc. So it's just breaking it down and making it achievable and just being really true to what you want to do and, and, you know, making sure you're doing what you want, you know, and, and people aren't wasting your time. You're not wasting any emotional energy on anybody else and just making yourself as happy as you can be, really, in every aspect, if that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. How do you handle the tricky stuff? What's tricky stuff? When it is so big and you really do want to put it off, how do you sort of sort your brain out so you refocus and you do put the stuff that needs to be at the forefront instead of watching another brilliant series on Netflix? <laughs> Which we all oh, do. I mean, how do you actually just get stuff done? Yeah, get how organized. do you get on with it? I suppose it's having a think about how important it is to you. It's putting a value on it, isn't it? You know, if if... If, for example, it is writing a book and it really means the world to you to be a published author, if it is that important to you, you'll do it and you'll make time to do it and you'll really put the energy into it. So you have to ask yourself, if you are putting it off and doing everything else but going towards that goal, is it really a goal that you want to do? And if it's not, why? And and just question yourself throughout it. Yeah, it's interesting because it's... I mean, my life is pretty much chaos, partly because I am the person that I am I mean I had a bag stolen earlier this year it had my diary oh, in it gosh. and I mean it's quite difficult to get a diary when did that happen that was about August or something it's quite hard yeah. to get a diary it in is, August yeah. I would be lost if I lost my diary well on Friday I had a conversation with a friend of mine and he said to me do you think you come pick me up on Sunday on en route and I went en route to what and he said <laughs> En route to Jenny's wedding. And I went, oh, fuck, is that this weekend? (laughs) And I think the difficulty I have is I know that my friend is getting married on the 10th of December. I just don't realise how close the 10th 10th of December is Sunday. I think that's kind of... You have to have a visual thing. You're exactly the same as me. I I need need to have it. It's no no point something's going to pop up on my phone. I have to have have it written down in a diary. But there is something about chaos that I feel like it kind of fuels me. The idea that it's like, oh, shit, right, that's now. Okay, off we go. It is an energy. It does create its own sort of energy. Of course yeah. it is. It's like, you know, you stay up all night to get that essay in, isn't yeah. it? Um, you know, and it, it, there is a lot to be said for that completely. And I'm, I'm definitely an element of that as well. I just think, as I've got older, and I can only speak personally, I was exactly the same as you because I had my phone diary. I don't know if you remember this, about three years ago. And I missed so many things. I triple booked myself. I was in a right old state. And now I've got this visualisation and I have a planner. You've seen it. And I've got a diary. And I have to write everything down. I have to sort of see when I'm doing everything. Otherwise, I, I just can't cope with it. And I think because I'm, I'm quite a busy person, I've got quite a lot of hats on, which I think so many people have these days. Yeah. You have to try and help yourself as much as you can just because the only thing that's going to suffer is you you're going to be the one that burns out you're going to be the one that gets ill (laughs) you're going to be the one that that misses things etc so I think it's just trying to preempt all that and look after yourself I think having known you for so long you were always a yes person and it feels like you've got more organized as you've learned how to say no massively yeah the power of saying no is a wonderful thing and I was like that I think I wrote a bit for standard issue on it actually years ago because I would be the one going out every night, getting pissed, spending loads of money, sort of people pleasery, because I didn't want to say no to anybody. And at the end of the week, I'd be the one that was skin, fat, spotty, and and you double booked, depressed. so you always felt like you were letting people down. Yeah, completely. Which I, I do quite a lot as yeah. well. Yeah. So now I'm a, I'm sort of 
I really like to have quality, valuable time. And if I can't do it, I'll say no. But how about let's do it when we can do it properly, for, for example. But yeah, massively. I think it's... I don't know about you, but when I was in my 20s, I think it's quite a common thing. You are just running around trying to do everything and be everything and you're sort of maybe not quite sure who you are, whereas maybe in your 30s, 40s, you're a little bit more, actually, I don't need to go to a nightclub till 2 o'clock, actually. I mean, obviously I do and I enjoy it when I do. But, you know, I don't feel that pressure to have to conform to what people think I should be rather than what I am, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It does make yeah, it sense. does. I think it's quite difficult as well. You tend to have a sort of sometimes with me, the problem is you create a clash when you have people in your life that are very organised. And for example, um, I went on holiday this year with some people who are super organised and they kept asking me, had I got my visa sorted? Had I? And these are people that I love dearly. Mm. And I was like, literally, I will do this next week because <laughs> I have other things and I because I'm a journalist I have learned in work and then it carries over into life to work to the next available like to work to the next deadline and you know it'll get done and you think I'm I'm not getting on that plane till May the 7th I've got a shitload of stuff to worry about before May the 7th but then you sometimes end up in a situation when you get to that you're like oh Jesus I was supposed to have done this bit yeah so, yeah, I, I find it's... You, it, it's I, a balance, isn't it? When my mum says, what are we doing at Christmas? And I go, I don't know. Yeah. But Christmas is like, can we talk about it the oh week my before gosh. Christmas? Yes. But mums are another world, aren't they? that's not a good thing to say. No. To, my mum asked me what I wanted for Christmas this year in October. And there was a bit of blue air between uh, us because, you know, it's October. And starts in June. Yeah. What are we doing for Christmas? Yeah. I don't, I don't know, mum. Exactly. I don't know. I don't even know my Still own Still tidying up after last Christmas. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm doing in June. Absolutely. The turkey's not done yet. Exactly. So I think it's just um, it's just how you can cope with yourself and it's finding your sort of groove with it really and being comfortable and taking on what you can cope with I think is really important as well. It sounds like the goal setting, the big goals and then breaking them down into sort of smaller steps. Mm would work for most aspects of life as well. Absolutely. So not just like, it sounds like something that you would do for a business or, or work yeah. or career, but I imagine that would also work for like getting your house in order, your literal house, and also maybe your emotional self as absolutely. well. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's people want to go from zero to hero in a, in a day and it, it doesn't work like that. Whereas if you, you know, you are wanting to change something in your life, there are things you can be doing but it's a small step and the, you, the end goal is in sight massively, but you, you might not get there overnight. So I think it's just learning your capabilities, your needs and your wants and making sure you are being kind to yourself, being true to yourself and doing what you can do. And, you know, and, and getting the help and support that's out there, because I think sometimes we're all running our own path and we forget that there's actually quite a lot of support out there or there's a lot of delegation. And I think people very much forget to delegate as well. And I'm a big fan of delegation. If there's something I really don't want to do, for example, my tax return, I don't do it. I'd rather throw money at the situation or skill swap or do something yeah. than sit there in a, in a really uncomfortable situation that I'm shit at, basically. Skill swap's an interesting thing to bring up because I know that you do a lot of sort of networking and bring a lot of amazing women together and women starting their own businesses mm. or succeeding in their own businesses. 
how do you find someone who you might be able to skill swap with? Because I wouldn't know where to fucking start with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I say, I run quite a lot of networking groups and there is some amazing people that come to them and it's not only them that you're meeting, if that makes sense, you're meeting their network as well. So, you know, I've got a lot of people that come to me and go, who have got these amazing, amazing businesses who make things or they give this great, great, incredible service but they have no clue what marketing is not one bit and mm-hmm. they don't really want to know they're not bothered and that's absolutely fine so for example I um got ages ago I ran this event that I needed some sort of show piece or some catering for it and this lady that I know makes everything from gingerbread she's bonkers she's the most talented woman in the world she's in Fortnum Mason window this Christmas in Harrods last Christmas and I said to her look I'll help you with marketing this for this length of time if you can make me all this stuff for my event and yeah. that's how it works and you know it's just seeing how you can really help each other because you're both obviously promoting each other's brands within that arena as well which is hugely helpful and you're endorsing another amazing businesswoman which is I can also say from my personal experience of skill swapping the skill swap that has been most useful in my life is offering to look after my friend's children Mm. The amount of things that uh, people have done for me, I've said, okay, like, yeah, and for us actually, yeah, I will, a, mm. I will, I will watch your kids so you can go to that wedding. If you know, maybe I have an idea in mind before of how they might be able to repay yeah. me. Maybe when I run out of petrol at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I might ring them to come and help me in that situation. But yeah, but it's so valuable. I mean, for them, that's amazing, isn't it? You know, that's yeah. so valuable and. I think a lot of us are like that. I'd much rather be able to help and and support someone or introduce somebody to somebody. You know, I find so much more value in that than just going talking about my business, really. And what if the word networking brings you out in hives? Yes, is which is used to of, me. Yeah, is there some sort of online communities that people can yeah, tap into? Yeah, of course. I mean, I went, my, I went to my very first networking group about four or five years ago and I pretended I needed a wee in the coffee break and legged it and never came back because I had these very big busted women with badges all queuing up to to roast me about what I was doing there and who am I and it was horrible so I'm completely with you um, and I think the advice is choose your networking as it were carefully and choose your tribe very carefully but from what I've learned is they are out there definitely but online there is so many forums you know Facebook's littered with them you know just whatever you're into there are people out there that are into the same and will support you you know there's so many business networking groups we're running one starting in February called Spark everybody's welcome and it's all very relaxed and supportive and it's about collaboration support it's you know there's none of this well, you're a journalist, so I can't possibly go because we've already got one journalist. It's about, great, there's three journalists in the room. What can we do together? So that's what I would say. Just find your tribe. They're out there. Awesome. So where can we find out more about you, please? Oh, hello. Right, so my name, hello, is... is I Who think, is this bird? I don't Why know. Is she, I was I just on the street. Some, <laughs> some of what she said is quite interesting. But if I'd actually got oh. some sort of day planner, I might Oh, do you know, know what more. I mean? Get a planner. Um, no, my name's Karen Campbell, and my um, company is Karen Campbell Marketing, so you'd find me online and all the social networks. You're um, at KC underscore marketing? Yes. Is that I correct? Well done. Sorry, sorry, right, mate. Maybe before someone's done their research. Oh, no. yeah. oh wow! <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So thank, thank you so you. much for coming in and talking to oh, us. Thank you so much, and I didn't cough. Yay. Well done! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, standard issue eights. Dottie here. Like many of you, I'm self-employed. I have been for years, and in the course of my work, I meet hundreds of other self-employed people doing all sorts of amazing things. I choose to be self-employed and consider myself to be really lucky to be able to do the things I do. 
being in charge of your own destiny is bloody brilliant. Apart from the times when it isn't. This week I burst into tears in my sitting room because my youngest was shouting down the stairs to tell me that it was too hard to get to sleep. He'd been in bed for approximately four nanoseconds and all I could think was how very, very, very tired I was and how I wished I was trying to get to sleep instead of trying to rewrite a report to make it less sarcastic. I'm fine now. My kids are fine and I've reapplied my mascara. But I'm going to get real with you. Sometimes being self-employed really, really sucks. So, for those of you who've made a resolution and are about to embark on your journey to self-employment or... For those of you who find yourselves there wondering what happened, and even for those of you who are just glad to survive another year in business, here's my guide to the things which you need to know when poop hits fan, direct debit hits overdraft and face hits desks. Whether you're a freelancer, part of the gig economy or grand high queen of a burgeoning business empire, the shit you need to know, and maybe just some things that it's nice to know aren't just happening to you. When you're self-employed, other people will assume that you are rich. They'll assume this even after they've seen your shoes or your car. I blame Ian Beale or perhaps Dragon's Den. But for whatever reason, we're bombarded with messages that entrepreneurs are loaded. The reality is quite different. Figures from HMRC in 2016 suggest that 80% of self-employed people are living in poverty. There's loads of different reasons for this. Low paying roles, downward pressure on contracts, increasing costs. Some of those things you can control, some you can't. But please don't ignore the ones you can. There is support and advice available to people running their own businesses. So don't be one of the people who thinks that their business isn't real enough to deserve support. Find out what is available for free in your area. Google business growth up, startup support, growth support or business support services and see if anything comes up. You can also check out local colleges, universities and libraries for free or low cost business events, support and advice. And while you're biting the bullet about learning stuff... I know, I know, finance is boring, but I promise you, you will be in a better position if you shake off the belief that you can't do account stuff. You can, you need to. If you don't, you'll be vulnerable to all sorts of pitfalls and some shit advice. This applies to people with all types and sizes of business. If you think you can't do this, you need to get yourself an Accounting for Dummies book or dig out some useful online tutorials or even bribe a financially savvy friend with cake. But don't just keep putting it off. Keeping a few simple records through the year, doing the best you can to keep income and outgoings for work separate and keeping the right bits of paper in the right place will make everything more manageable. If you don't already, it can be useful to have separate bank accounts or some other way of knowing which money is yours and which belongs to your business. Talking about money that isn't yours, let's talk about tax, baby. You probably need to do a tax return and, like millions of other people, you probably left it until now deadline month to do it. This next piece of advice might be coming too late, but don't do that. The January deadline is for online only, and if you've forgotten or lost your password, you may have to request it by post and it can take days or even weeks to arrive. A late submission of your tax can be both expensive and really stressful. Leaving it to the last minute isn't like with Christmas shopping where you can claim that you're doing it because you like the atmosphere. So wherever you can, get it in as soon as possible after the previous year end. If something happens which means you can't do this, like bereavement or ill health, let HMRC know ASAP. They do have a mental health support team, but you probably have to know it exists and ask for it in order to be put through to them. This sucks, but now that you know about it, you can spread the word. If you are at all tech savvy, there are loads of ways 
you can make things run a bit more smoothly as a self-employed person. Take some time every so often just to search out apps and sites that will help. There are apps which will automatically track your business mileage, upload your receipts or even scan business cards and add them to your contacts. A great use of any spare half hour is just to Google best free app to do whatever that thing is that does you nothing. Nothing strikes fear into the hearts of some people quite like the idea of networking. Sure, it can be a great way to make contacts for your business, but it can also be two hours trapped in a stuffy room with 30 dickheads. If you have to do it, spend time finding the networks that work for you, but also don't buy the hype. Whether that's the network group leader that tells you that all of its business members exchanged billions of pounds worth of work last month, or that guy in the shiny suit telling you that his business has never been better. Sure, networking is a thing, but it's an Instagram version of these people's lives and businesses. Don't let them make you feel like crap or like a fraud. You have no way of knowing whether they leave the meeting and cry all the way back home in their car. Now that you're self-employed, you have no HR department to look after you and probably no sick pay to talk of. And you'll likely have to drag yourself to work sometimes when you really should be in bed. So when you can look after yourself, do. People who tell you that when you work for yourself, you have no boss are stinking liars. If you have clients, you have bosses. But you are in charge of your time. Self-employment may not give you more free time, but it might give you a bit more flexibility. So when you can, go to the cinema in the afternoon, nip out to feed the ducks, or just have a sneaky afternoon nap. God knows you'll have earned it. Onwards, entrepreneurs. Let's do this. Make 2018 the year that you finally file your receipts instead of keeping them in the footwell of your car. Good luck. Dotty out. Question. I'm not answering that. Hello, this is Sarah Millican and you are listening to Sarah Millican's Question Time. Happy New Year, everybody. I don't know how long you can say that. I'm going to say um, June. Yeah. Okay. Good question this week. A really good question. It's from Michael Hetherington. And Michael Hetherington sent this this question via the Twitter. And the question is, do you think your dog looks like Gary or is that just me? Now, Michael, I don't know what you look like. So maybe you look like all of us. Um, By the way, if you can hear something in the background, that is the tumble dryer. And if you can hear something in my mouth, that sounded bad. It's because I've just had a boost and I've still got that lovely kind of chocolatey coating with little bits of, I don't even know what it is. It's not nugget, because I don't like nugget. Do you say nugget still, or is it nougat? Are they different things? Oh, 2018 is going to be such a world of discovery for me. Um, <laughs> um, I Now, does does my dog, Commander Tuvok, does he look like Gary? Or does Gary look like Commander Tuvok? Or is neither the case? Now they both have, they both have beards. That is true. They both have decent eyebrows. I like to think that if I let myself go, as in you know, relaxed and had fewer appointments at places where they rip hair out of your face, and just throw my tweezers in the bin, that I would also look like Gary and Tuvok. I don't think it's a bad look. I think sometimes you look like a small fairy child. And other times you look like a wise old man. I, I think it's a, I'm glad that they don't completely resemble each other in personality because whenever I tickle Gary on his tummy, 
he asks why I'm doing it. Whereas Tuvok just goes with it and then sometimes growls and bares his teeth and I can't tell if he's turned on or happy or angry or mad or all of those things. Oh, wowzers, that is the tumble dryer. Go night, the fucking clappers. <laughs> you know, it's it's worked its way to the front. You know, do, you ever, do you notice that tumble dryers just work their way to the front? And it means that they bash against a wall or a door or a side or, yeah, it's doing that. I'm going to have to walk it back over at some point, maybe butter its legs. Has it got legs? I don't know. Um, but such a great question, Michael. I hope I've answered it. So my answer is, is yeah, I think they look very similar. And I think maybe that's why I love them both. Maybe it's a look that I go for in animals and in husbands. Thanks so much for your question. Uh, and have a great week, everybody. Bye. If you'd like me to answer one of your questions, then tweet us at Standard Issue UK using the hashtag SMQT. Thank you. Standard issue for all women. Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to the first Outside the Box of 2018. I know January is too dark, too long and too expensive, so you may well be spending more time at home. But fear not, there will be loads of stuff on the telly slash laptop slash however it is. You watch your TV nowadays, looking over the shoulder of the guy next to you on the train. I'm not here to judge. So here are a few things you might have missed over the Christmas period, which are still available to watch, and a few things coming soon, which might make those long winter evenings just fly by. First up, starting tonight at 9pm on Channel 4 is Kiri, starring the mighty Sarah Lancashire as a social worker caught in an interracial adoption slash disappearance mystery. I've not actually had time to watch the preview, but even if it didn't have Lancashire in it, its credentials certainly recommend it. It's written by Jack Thorne, creator of 2016's sometimes frustrating but often brilliant National Treasure, and it also stars Wamni Misako, Sue Johnston and Stephen McIntosh. And if that's not enough to make you watch it, you know, I don't know how to help you. Also new to four is coming-of-age sitcom Derry Girls, which started on E4 last week. It's written by Lisa McGee and set in the mid-90s in the tremendous city better known in this country as Londonderry. So, yeah, you might be wondering why you need to watch another youth sitcom, but I've seen the first few of these and it's genuinely promising. And being set in the Troubles opens it out to a particular type of joke, which is a lot of fun. Last week's contained an old man describing the closure of a bridge due to an IRA bomb threat as health and safety gone mad, which tickled me for about an hour. If you've got Netflix, you've probably watched all of Black Mirror already, so I'm not going to say too much about that other than my usual and deserved praise for Charlie Brooker for writing great parts for women. And to say that, contrary to what everybody else seems to believe, for me, the one-woman show of Maxine Peake in Metalhead is the thing that really stood out in Series 4. Something you might not have got round to on Netflix yet is Errol Morris's documentary series Wormwood, the true story of how one man's attempts to find out what happened when his scientist father seemingly killed himself in New York in the 1950s turns into a Cold War-infused Shakespearean drama involving illegal drugs tests, strange coincidences and personal tragedy. Morris is generally regarded as America's best documentary maker and here he mixes interviews with dramatic recreation which boasts some real acting heft including Peter Sarsgaard, Molly Parker and Tim Blake Nelson. Of the absolute avalanche of things that arrived on Netflix at the end of the year, it is by far the most deserving of your attention. Over at The Beeb, 
Little Women, Heidi Thomas's adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's classic novel, is still available to watch in its entirety on the iPlayer. Thomas, obviously most famous for Call the Midwife, which isn't everybody's bag. Although my mum loves it, and to be honest, she's entitled to enjoy TV as much as anyone else. Actually, this adaptation owes less to the midwives of Poplar than it does to the Virgin Suicides, and it made me want to full-on punch Amy March in the face, a sensation I haven't had for about 30 years, so it was clearly doing its job. Also on the BBC, the latest series of Inside Number 9 continues. I watched quite a lot of them on preview over Christmas, so I'm a bit lost as to what's aired and what's not aired on TV yet, so I'll keep it as vague as I can. But loads to enjoy, including an episode in I Am Big Pentameter, one starring Nicola Walker and a two-hander between creators Rhys Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, which is just terrific. There's still time to catch up on the Beep's first big drama of the year, McMafia, which is exactly the sort of drama that everyone seems to love, me excluded, so I'll leave that there. But it leaves me time to recommend England's Forgotten Queen, a three-part series in which historian Helen Castor delves into the life of Lady Jane Grey, which started last night on BBC4. I've seen all of them. It is really good. And finally, over on Sky, Britannia is about to explode onto our screens. In AD 43, two Celtic leaders, played by Kelly Riley and Zoe Wanamaker, have to fight off an invasion by Romans led by David Morrissey. Now, no offence meant to anyone who I've just named, but I wouldn't normally go out of my way to recommend it, certainly having seen none of it. But, and this is a huge but, it's written by Jez Butterworth, creator of the finest piece of theatre I have ever seen, Jerusalem. What the hell will it be? Gladiator for feminists, Game of Thrones for hippies? I have no idea, but I will be watching on January the 18th when it starts. Outside the box, we'll be back in a few weeks when I'll be talking about the explosion in true crime on TV, why it's happened, how much accuracy matters. Spoiler alert, I very much think it does. And what the best way to digest it is. If you have any thoughts on that or anything else I've talked about today, feel free to tweet me and we can have an informed and respectful debate on it, just like everybody does on Twitter. Until next time. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. I'm here with Kate Dale, who runs the This Girl Can campaign for Sport England. Thanks very much for chatting to us. Thanks for having me. Well, technically, I'm in your office, so, you know. (laughs) But uh, You're very welcome. (laughs) This Girl Can. Tell us a bit more about the campaign and what it is and why it's necessary. This Girl Can came out of um, Sport England, which is the government organisation that invests lottery money, national lottery money, into helping us all play sport and get more active. And we realised from our uh, data and research about four years ago now that there was a huge gender gap in participation. So about, at its highest, two million more men were regularly active than women, which just doesn't seem right in this day and age, really, that so many women are missing out on something that can make you um, happier, can help you, obviously help your physical health, your mental well-being, can be fun. And I'm not sporty by background at all whatsoever, so it's not that I'm saying that everyone has to go out there and suddenly do shuttle runs until they throw up. It's not about that, but it's about getting out there, getting active and moving. And we really wanted to persuade more women that physical activity was relevant to them, and lots of them just didn't think it was. Mm. For lots of women, I think they maybe didn't really particularly enjoy PE or games at school, maybe didn't have a great experience there. And then when you look at the world of sport and sports marketing, very often it can seem like it's only particular types of people that play active, men, for starters. But even when women are active, it can feel like you have to be really skinny, have an amazing six-pack and be really, really good at it. And we wanted to get out there and say it's fantastic if you're great at it. It's equally good if you're a bit rubbish like I am, to be honest, but you're still doing it anyway. 
it's not always about having to win, it's, it really is about the taking part. It's a really, really fantastic campaign. Since it started in yeah. 2015, there's been, I think, some really massive changes in women's sport, particularly one of the really big ones is women's football, a huge success story. How important do you think that change in elite level sport is in order to encourage the grass participation it's really interesting people have talked a lot over the years about success on a world stage encouraging normal people like me to get active we found that's not always necessarily the case there will be some women there'll be some people who it does so but there's lots of women who that doesn't so what we need we need lots of success on an international stage we need to have images and pictures and stories of lots of normal women being active as well and everyone within there will find their role model that said, I mean, the elite success we've had, I mean, like you say, uh, rugby, football, cricket, we've all had some amazing stories, and I absolutely love watching strong women go out there, perform, and win on a world stage, because as a woman, that inspires me just to fulfil my dreams, whether or not that's to go out for a run or not, I think it's a fantastic thing to do, and I want girls growing up seeing women competing and being taken as seriously as the men do when they're on a world stage, because they train as hard, they work as hard, why shouldn't they get the same accolades and the same rewards? So I think it's really important... What about younger girls? The idea of visibility, like you can see this, it's about making that world accessible to someone. And if you can see Steph Horton and you can see Katrina Johnson-Thompson or, I love saying her name, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so good, isn't it? Nicola Adams, who's one of my favourites, I love her. I kind of feel like that accessibility, like this world is for you. And if you grow up seeing that and knowing it... Yeah, I think, um, I think it's really important for girls to grow up seeing women play sport at the top, at the bottom and all the way through. I also think it's important for them to see them being coaches and referees and volunteers and, and sports administrators, which might not be the sexiest thing to say of them, all of them, but it is, but it's all important. So it's a world for women too. And if you get women there just as much as men, then all of a sudden that's one of the barriers that go because it stops being, oh, sport is a man's thing. And I think that's where you will start to get changes in the way that sports are delivered, some of maybe the cultures that we've seen in some of the sports as well because it just becomes a more diverse and more inclusive place that it belongs. I think it's important we have courage of women's sport because we should, we should be recognising women who've worked hard in the same way we recognise men that have worked hard because what's the difference? I don't see why one is particularly more relevant than the others. And I also want girls to grow up knowing that if they work harder, whatever it is they're doing, that they will get the same rewards, opportunities, recognition that men get, because that's what we should be bringing girls up to believe. And that's what we should be bringing boys up to believe as well. And so actually, this isn't just about the women, it's about the boys or the girls, it's about the boys too. You know, if they see more women playing sport, if they're exposed to more of that, and they see more diverse images of women being strong, being powerful, being successful, being happy and confident, and being in a team as well, then maybe it'll change some of their expectations of what women are and what we're here for and to do as well. We've been doing some work with the Australian government, right? So, Yeah, so one of the really exciting things with this Girl Can is as well as the success we've had here with the numbers of women who've got active in the community of 800,000 women we've now got on social media all supporting, encouraging and motivating each other. Um, Whisper England, our remit is to promote activity in England and that's where we've been working but the campaign has really resonated worldwide and so we've been covered in over 100 countries and that has led to us uh, we're now working with Victoria the state of Victoria in Australia and they'll be launching their campaign in February uh, which is their version of it so it's the same campaign in many ways it's the same logo the same branding but most importantly the same insight and intuition and understanding of how women are but it's localized so it's using Australian sports and it's all filmed around Melbourne and it's and it looks it looks stunning and I can't wait to see it go nationally and obviously that's fantastic to see it happening in another country and that's all part of building what we want to really see as a global movement that is really encouraging women everywhere to go out there get active and 
just enjoy it. There are, I think, quite a lot of countries actually that do it a bit better than us in terms of women's sport. Scandinavian countries, for example, handball is like a, is a massive sport mm. in, in those countries, for example. And it's a, America, to me, feels like a place where there's a lot more, not necessarily activity or participation by women, but a lot more interest in sport. I mean, I suppose if there's one thing the Americans are good at, it's knowing how to make money, right? But, <laughs> but it's kind of interesting that there seems to be a lot of interest in sport from American women. What kind of interaction can the commercial side of it have with up participation? And I think something that I find really interesting is if you look at the countries, Scandinavian countries being classic, where there's more gender equality, so less pay gap, better shared or parental leave, all those measures... Um, then sports participation and physical activity participation tends to be more equal. So the two absolutely go hand in hand. So this is why I think we see this, and certainly why I see this, is as well as it being about getting more and more active, it's part of that broader gender equality piece. I think in terms of commercial organisations, they absolutely have a role to play in all of this. So thinking about the way they market and promote their activities or their sportswear so that it feels much more inclusive, so it's more open to everyone, so it's showing women really being active and not some idealised image of women, you know, hardly breaking a sweat, as most of us get better face and sweaty women active and that's just a sign that it's working and it should be a badge of honour not something to be embarrassed about and I think women show and I think women and this is we've been able to demonstrate this but I think women now we're sophisticated consumers and when we feel that we're being taken seriously by companies and they understand us and they connect with us and they understand our fears and worries that we will and support those mm-hmm. then we will respond and they will get our customer they will get our business so there's an absolute commercial return by commercial organizations for investing in women's sport both at elite level and at grassroots level no, it's always seemed crazy to me that you wouldn't just think well look i mean i could potentially double my money well absolutely i mean you could you could look back to us an organization that's measured on its success by how many people are active across the country so for us seeing that gender gap yes there was a, a wrong that had to be righted there and something we wanted to come out and do but also for us that's a huge untapped market you know if we can get you know enough of those women active then our numbers go up and we've we've we're succeeding so absolutely is i've never understood why it's seen as so difficult and so challenging and just and i've never understood why it's seen as difficult to just ask women what they're thinking what they're feeling and we tend to tell you when you ask us, as long as we think you're listening. I spoke to Claire Baldin earlier in the year about progress being made more on the elite side of women's sports. So there's a massive name drop there. <laughs> and she said the thing you have to do with sport is to give people a reason to care. Yeah. What do you think is the reason for women to care? People care about sport because sport is an unscripted soap opera. It's the ultimate unscripted reality show, really, because there are no guaranteed outcomes. You don't know until, and sometimes even after the whistle is blown, who's going to win a match or cross the line first. And the sports that we've all grown up watching or that have been there for have an advantage. So men's sports, so football, for example, you don't have to be hugely into football to know about, I don't know, Manchester, Liverpool rivalry, about the two Manchesters, or the rest of it, and you sort of know that. And a lot of us grow up with a family relationship with that football club. We have a reason to care. And so if you're not involved in women's sport, that might not exist already. So we have to tell the stories. The reason why everyone gets excited about Olympic sports is not because 
of the particular sport that we all suddenly become experts in every four years. It's because there's something about the, the person, the rivalry, the story, the journey that took oh, to get the there, the achievement, yeah. the work that we can really understand and we can, and we can relate to and we can get to. And you don't have to, and I think that's what it is. So we need to tell the stories. And that's why coverage is so important. So we need broadcasters to be telling the stories of individual women and the individual sports so that we actually care about the results. You have just become a trustee of the Women's Sports Trust, which I'm a big fan of. They've got lots of very useful information on their website, which helps me make this podcast on a regular basis. <laughs> Thanks for the calendar, guys. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about the work you're doing with them? Women's Sport Trust is the leading women's charity, particularly around promoting the coverage of women's sports sponsorship and investment in. So it's kind of like the other side of the sporting landscape from where I work doing my day job. And I think there's a real opportunity to connect the two sides together to make sure that we are seeing more women, more girls featured in all aspects of sport. I'm a trustee, um, so I'll be getting heavily involved in helping get the message out there, particularly looking at how they can use social media and digital as well to really promote women's sport. What plans do you have for the future of the campaign? This girl can continues and will continue until we're not needed anymore, really. That will be success because it's so normal for women to be active. This year we're going to be doing more work with women, particularly from low socioeconomic groups, and helping them find ways to get active that fit in with all the demands on their lifestyle and on their life. And also looking at where we can work with more teenagers as well to help them relate to the campaign. They have engaged, but getting them involved too. And also going to be looking at some messages around how intense you have to be to be active, because there's an awful lot of us who are active. We just maybe just if you just stepped up a level, that would be enough to get the physical and mental health benefits from it. So it's not that we're not doing it. We just maybe need a bit more advice, guidance and encouragement to get out there and be a bit more active. And also looking at how we can help our community so 800,000 women online who encourage, motivate and support each other and how we can encourage them to keep on doing that. And where can they find you online? You can go to our website, thisgirlcan.co.uk or if you search hashtag thisgirlcan on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook you can find our social channels there. Thank you very much, Kate. Thanks for chatting to us. Thank you very much. It's been great. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you do this week? This week I watched 2009's The Princess and the Frog, which is loosely based on the children's book, The Frog Princess, which is itself based on the grim fairy tale. Pretty well received, picked up two Oscar nominations, but lost to Up in the Best Animated Feature category and Crazy Heart in the Best Original Song, both of which were clearly the right decision. Crazy Heart is a brilliant film. Up is a brilliant film. Agreed. Obviously, I'd never seen it before. Have you two managed to cram it in this week? None. I watched it. Great. Did you like it? Well, it's not without its problems, but for the most part, I actually did. It zips along at a really good pace. You know, the songs are okay. The animation's okay. It has a couple of plot points that are actually really friggin' endearing. And it features Keith David, who is the velvety voice of Ken Burns' documentaries and also my favourite episode of Community. So, for the most part, that is a yes. Keith David plays um, the Mighty Bush's spirit of jazz, right? He does, yeah. He does have one of those voices that I think, you know, if he was just on TV reading out the Yellow Pages, I'd be like, well, have a cuppa, listen to that for a while. The most notable thing about this film is that it features the studio's first African-American princess. But don't let that kid you into thinking it's not a traditional Disney film. In many ways, it's as trad as they get. It's even hand-drawn. 
Mmm, retro. Mm. And there's a couple of lovely little sequences, a bit like in Dumbo. Or Fantasia, yeah. Where they go off and do other stuff. Uh, let's fill you in on the plot first. Film opens, 1912, antebellum, Norlins. A seamstress, played by Oprah. You get a car, you get a car, Winfrey. <laughs> tells the fairy tale of the girl who kissed a frog to her daughter, Tiana, and Charlotte, who's the Southern Belle daughter of her boss. Now, I just want to get this out of the way now. Charlotte is a massive airhead. I actually find her incredibly endearing. <laughs> she was really endearing, apart from a bit at the end. So anyway, little Tiana returns home with her mum to the poor part of town where she helps her surprisingly age-appropriate dad make gumbo <laughs> and talk about their dream. That's what you do. You just make gumbo. Yeah, and yeah. they talk about their dream of opening a restaurant together. In classic Disney style, we then jump forward, which Wikipedia informs me is 14 years. The dad's dead. Oh, classic Nash. Disney. I'm guessing in the First World War from the photograph she has yeah, of him yeah, and he's in a uniform. And Tiana, who's now in her tw- early 20s, maybe I'd say. Yeah. She is working two jobs to continue to fulfill that dream of the restaurant. Despite the fact that her friends are going on at her about having some fun and her mum is going on at her about finding love. She wants grandchildren. Here's something interesting that I learned about myself while watching this film, Mm. and that is I don't find the line, don't forget to find love, half as offensive when it is delivered by Oprah Winfrey. Fair enough. You get a boyfriend, (laughs) you get a boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, airhead Charlotte, and indeed the whole city has the vapours about the arrival to the city of a visiting prince, Prince Naveen. Macedonia. Uh, Mal- Maldonia, Maldonia, I believe it's Maldonia. It, yeah, N- Mal- Maldonia. Maldonia. It's made up. Oh right, okay. See what, what? they did there. <laughs> and that's interesting. We'll get to the nationality of Prince Naveen in a bit. Everybody is sure that Charlotte's going to be able to marry this prince. Out of sheer determination, yeah. if nothing else. But the minute the feckless prince comes ashore, he immediately gets suckered into the sort of shit deal you could expect from a guy selling voodoo on a street corner. Yeah. And through a series of unfortunate incidents, Charlotte ends up engaged to someone pretending to be Prince Naveen and Tiana and the actual Prince Naveen end up transformed into frogs trying to survive on the bayou. Lawrence, the guy who ends up pretending to be Prince Naveen, he looks, they've drawn him very like Timothy Spall. (laughs) I was quite distracted by it. I have to say, I'm not going to do any more plot because that would spoil it if you want to watch it, but I have to say, to its credit, there is a lot of things this film gets really right. No, really. I have a list. Mm. Right, so firstly, Tiana. So Disney has been under a lot of pressure to have an African-American princess, and, you know, I get it. There's no reason why black girls shouldn't have a positive role model who looks like them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And a positive role model, she really is. She's an absolute grafter. She's funny. She's clever. She's resourceful. She's entirely unimpressed by status. And I think that's actually more positive qualities than all the white Disney princesses pre-2009 have put together. Uh, Secondly, it has a great villain, Dr. Facilier, who is a voodoo witch doctor who... Totally thought you were going to say Dr. Fox. No. no. Um, the aforementioned uh, spirit of jazz from the Mighty Boosh. Yeah. looks like that. I expect yeah. him to go, my head's on fire. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> Just thought it was part of your act. So he plans to rule the city of New Orleans. Uh, like Peter Pan, he's got a shadow who moves independently. Freaky as fuck. But unlike Peter Pan, this is both amusing and scary. Terrifying. 
In fact, the whole use of shadows as the bad guys is really well done. And I'd imagine it's pretty scary for kids and children should be scared. And women of 40. Yeah. Is it done as well as Ghost? It's better than Ghost. The shadows are really creepy. They are able to like reach and actually pluck something that's real. And like grab it. They did in Ghosts, and they, you know, oh, and I won't, they? I won't say which character because it's a spoiler. But they actually pulled someone to like hell, basically. Yeah, that's what they. That, that's what they do in Ghosts, isn't it? They pull the people to I hell. Think the people who made um, the Frog Princess really liked the Ghost. Princess and the Frog really like Ghost and the Mighty Boosh. Yeah, possibly. It's an interesting Venn diagram. Yeah. Thirdly, it manages something that I never thought I'd see a Disney film pull off, and that's that it makes Prince Naveen a love interest of both Tiana and Charlotte. And yet it never puts the women at odds with each other. They never fall out. Neither of them ever says a bad word against the other one. They remain friends regardless of the fact that essentially they both are after the same man. I mean, Tiana is largely ambivalent about him for most of it. So and rightly so. He's a fucking um, idiot. He is. Fourthly, oh yes, I'm still going mm. with this list. It has a couple of bits in it that are actually quite lovely, including an ongoing plot about a firefly who is in love with the morning star, which he believes to be a very far away firefly called Evangeline. Evangeline. Oh, Ray. So lovely. It is. And I am also a big fan of the idea of calling the dog Stella because it means that people get to shout Stella (laughs) during it, which is Really enjoyable. And also, the alligator is um, basically Baloo in an alligator Aww. costume. Yeah. He even does a little Baloo dance and has a kind of bare necessities yeah. song as well. Is he a big alligator or a little alligator? He's a oh, big he's a alligator big he who, wants to, who wants to play the trumpet in a jazz band. I actually had this conversation with a man on Tinder, like literally <laughs> said we could have moved to New Orleans together and, and like cuddle alligators. cuddle alligators. And he said we could have taught them to play the trumpet as well. He's obviously seen The Princess and the Frog. Maybe he has. Maybe he's the one. Anyway. Um, That said, as ever, I do have some problems with it. The first thing is the very odd decision to set it in 1926 New Orleans. Okay, so quick history test for you. If you arrived in New Orleans in the 1920s, what two laws are you going to notice first? Uh, segregation. segregation Jim Crow laws number one prohibition prohibition number two and yet Disney mentions neither of them yeah now not mentioning prohibition is maybe forgivable as you know Disney films don't generally mention booze except loads of that they kind of do yeah. yeah Dumbo gets smashed Smee gets smashed that annoying guy in Sleeping Beauty gets absolutely shit faced and Gaston and his gang are absolutely leathered. <laughs> Seriously. The Jim Crow issue, I mean, you obviously can't have characters being dragged off to be lynched in a Disney film. It's not very festive. But equally... Parents are allowed to die willy-nilly. But yeah. Equally, trying to suggest that blacks and whites happily coexisted during this period is disingenuous. Yeah. Especially when the reason that Charlotte lives in immense wealth and Tiana has to have two jobs is primarily a result of the colour of their skin. And so to not mention in any way the idea that segregation existed during this time is very odd. It's never too early to teach children about history, but there's absolutely no point in teaching them a sanitised version of history. So I just... it. It's, I'm not happy about that. Do you think they're supposed to pick up the reference of Big Daddy to cut on a hot tin roof and maybe go and read that? Yeah. <laughs> Get some Tennessee Williams. Yeah, maybe. And while I'm on that, we might as well talk about the issue of race. When this came out, I did a bit of Googling, mm-hmm. or as Kiri calls it, research. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of 
concern about the, when the trailer of this came out. A lot of concern regarding stereotyping, regarding the way that I was going to ask African American uh, characters were portrayed. A number of people spoke out, including the actress who plays Tiana, mm. and she said, "I would not be in this if this yeah, was." Sure. After it came out, those concerns seemed to largely drift away. Yeah. There's a couple of things, like I say, it bothered me that segregation is not mentioned. There is also a question of where Prince Naveen is from. Now, Disney say that he is a black character. However, he is Naveen, which is actually an Indian name. Yeah. He's got he's quite light skinned. He's played by a Brazilian. Right. He's he's definitely not African American. And I'm wondering if they were stepping back from the idea of having an African American prince. My worry about the race issue was more to do with the the voodoo thing and the emphasis put on that. And so well, I, mean, I, wondered, but... I wondered about, you know, like in Live and Let Die, it's clearly quite racist. And there were lots of little scenes that reminded me of bits of Live and Let Die, um, the Bond film. Have you been to New Orleans? No. no. So in New Orleans, like, they do make a big deal of the voodoo yeah, thing. Yeah, I kind like of, is, I, I figured yeah. it must be, I sort of figured it must be fine. Yeah. I was like, hmm. But the way that all the other characters are portrayed, I think well, it all balances out. I yeah. did read, I did read a thing that said that there was a lot of kicking off about the use of voodoo in it, but it was from Christians. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, ha, <laughs> fuck it then, leave it in. Oh, I love so, the voodoo now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They do, they do make like a relatively big deal of it, like in the place, like it's, like in I New mean, Orleans it, itself. It didn't seem to me any more than it's like they make a big issue of jazz in this in the yeah. same way that, yeah. that that's so exactly. it seemed to me it's something that that falls with the within the sort of mystique of the image that but, l- and this there's good voodoo and bad New Orleans well. like yeah. promotes for itself. But I would say the thing about the the image that New Orleans New Orleans uh creates for itself is like Everyone in New Orleans listens to jazz. Everyone in New Orleans yeah. wangs on about the voodoo shit. Everyone in New Orleans eats gumbo like it's not it's not like a and maybe maybe that is some kind of a i guess you know some kind of appropriation in itself but like background of new orleans as well as like it's a really really like mixed like ethnically diverse yeah. and always has been from what i can tell so it is a gumbo check that it's but a, um but no, yeah it's a gumbo it's a yeah, proper it's like everyone's a, all a sorts melting of pot melting if pot. you will yeah. so when you're saying stuff like Oh, like she's just off eating a gumbo or whatever. To me, that sounds like a little bit like... doesn't yeah. feel any more tricksy than mm. the fact that everybody talked about Scotland Yard in 101 Dalmatians, yeah, to be enough. honest. And it also, seems like a, a stereotype, yeah. but not a relatively harmless stereotype. And also yeah. the white characters in The Princess and the Frog are also huge stereotypes. So you've got Charlotte, who is this southern belle of, yeah. you know, cut and a hot tin move kind of... And her dad, who is called Big Daddy. And her dad is called Big Daddy. But also the kind of deliverance rednecks that are trying to catch frogs. Yeah. They're, they're straight out of, like, Hicksville. Yeah. Let's Ma- talk about the ending, Mick. Let's talk about the ending, Hannah. Okay. Oddly, if you know anything about the level of cynicism that operates within me and the level of cynicism that operates within Mickey, I had less of a problem with the ending than Mickey did, which is very unusual. Yes. In the end, and this is a spoiler alert, they gradually fall in love. It's and not gradual. Yeah, well, I say gradually. She doesn't like him for ages, then and they she fall likes in love. Him. Bam! Yeah. He cuts you and one, a boyfriend. He cuts up one mushroom yeah. badly. She decides that she likes him. In the end, they get together and she finds love and they do up her restaurant together and work in it together. I don't actually have a problem with that. Mickey does. I don't have a problem with the way you've just described it, but, but that's that is not quite how it works in the film. She's, she's told, told that what she's wanted since she was a little kid is to have this restaurant and to like 
honour her dad and have this restaurant. She works two jobs to to try and raise the money to get the deposit to put down on this restaurant. And she does it. She achieves it. And then some she gets shafted and the restaurant gets taken away from her or the building gets taken away from her. And she is told by her mum that she needs to focus on love because her mum wants grandchildren. No, she doesn't. She says, don't forget about love, is what her mum says. And then she says. says, I want grandchildren. And then she's told by the the Mrs. Voodoo rather than Mr. Voodoo in it. There's a, a voodoo queen. What is she? Yeah, voodoo yeah. queen. She's told that she thinks she knows what she wants, i.e. the restaurant, but she doesn't really know what she needs, i.e. romantic love. And that ends up being the thing that is the goal for her. But and she it doesn't really know it isn't the goal off. for her. She still opens the restaurant. It's like she has a dream and he mm-hmm. gets folded into that dream. Because let's not forget that actually it wasn't her dream in the first place. It was her dad's dream. It was her dream from when she was little. It was her dad's dream to open a restaurant and she took on that dream. So she's had male influence on either side. It felt like, that for me, and sure, we're allowed to disagree, but it felt like the message that she had worked really hard to do this thing on her own and in the end she couldn't do it without a man. No, 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 she did do it. She did achieve it without a man. But I think the point the point for me is, if you look at what happens in Beauty and the Beast is that she has dreams and she abandons them in order to get married. And what Tiana does is she has dreams and then he then comes into her life and then she continues with the same dream. It's just she has an additional dream. Because let's face it, in the society, that's what we live in. People are expected. That is like, people do find love. It's not, it's not well, unfeminist to find love. It sounds a bit like... I see what you're saying about that, with the exception of because I want grandchildren, because that's a bit annoying. Um, but like, Although you know, somewhat realistic. Well, yeah. If you're listening, Mum. Uh, Hello, Mary. <laughs> All right, Anne. <laughs> you say that she says, "Well, don't forget about love." That sounds like a sort of not very well expressed. You know, all work and no play. Yeah. Kind well, that, of a that is instruction. The as Hannah yeah. pointed out to me when we were chatting about this. But it's like, again, for me, and I, I thought it was great. It was an entertaining film. But again, for me, fun, in inverted commas, ended up being romantic love. Mm. And it could have been other stuff. But it's a very entertaining film. And my other point was when they're frogs and they are going to end up staying frogs at one point. I was like, well, what about her mum? She's choosing the bloke, the, the other frog, over her mum. And Hannah has pointed out that. Well, she's not choosing. She is stuck as being a frog. And if I was stuck as being a frog and I'd met another frog <laughs> that was all right, I'd probably stick with him rather than take my chances with some other frog that might Fair be enough. worse. Just, just make the best of Better it. Better the yeah. frog you know. Better exactly. the frog you know. That, that's, that's where the, the same moral. comes that from. That is the moral of this story. <laughs> Better the warty frog you know. They Aww. do do the line, will you take me warts and all? Yeah. Oh. I think it sounds really good. I've... Dunleavy, what score are you giving it? I'm going to give it four. Four what? Four, oh my God, I can't believe I haven't even mentioned yet that John Goodman is in this. <gasps> is he Ray? No, he is uh, Big Daddy. Oh, that I makes sense. John Goodman, that yeah. makes me really happy. And he gets to shout, Stella! <laughs> and that's a crazy moustache. Because let's not forget, this is well heavy on the Tennessee Williams as well. It is really yeah. heavy on the Tennessee Williams. I'm going to watch it. Do it, Jen. That's all from us this week. Thanks very much for downloading and listening. Tune in on Saturday when a new podcast will be going up and it is a Saturday bitching and Hannah is very, very angry about Toby Young and and rightly so. And then on Sunday we have an exciting chops chops of sort where our Jen at InspiraGen on Twitter is trying to uh, inspire you to get into sports 
Um, you may have made a New Year's resolution to do something sporty, to get out there, to get active, to get fit, to get a sweat on. Do with that what you will. And Jen is here to encourage you and to keep you going. And she's talking to quite a few different birds about why it's a good idea and how you can get into it. I'll be chopsing about how to get back into running, she says, um, needing to go for a run. Join us next week when we are talking money, money, money with the brilliant Vix Layton. Aoife Moore talks to us about how to help repeal the eight. And Suze Kundu joins us to chat about women in science. In the meantime, if you want to see us in the flesh with our mouths moving in front of your very faces, then please do check out Sarah's website, sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue where you'll find details of all our gigs the next one is on january the 19th at cambridge junction and features the brilliant comedian activist and actress liz carr and also excellent poet and playwright holly mcnish and for the first time in quite a long time me and the dunleavy one on stage together i mean that is a chemistry set that i want to get involved in I, i am involved in it you can follow us on Twitter at Standard Issue UK and find us on Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of jazz. Please do get in touch and maybe give Jen, Hannah and me a cheeky follow on Twitter as well. Jen is at InspiraJen, Hannah is at Levy, and I am at Noonan. That's it really. Until the next time, stay frosty. Standard issue for all women.